All right, Mark chapter 5. You found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. <clears throat> Mark chapter 5 is a, is a bewildering passage. It's 20 verses long, so it's a long passage. We'll have to keep it all together because it's one story, so it, we need to keep the flow moving. But it's something that opens our eyes to the goodness of God and the power of Jesus. And I hope that this passage feeds your soul. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God. Let's go there to verse 1. Let's read it. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces, no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs, up in the mountains, he's always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion. We are many. He begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled, and they told it in the city and the country, People came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, He's clothed. He's in his right mind. They were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. He did not permit him, but he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away, and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Join me as we pray. Father, you know the hearts of men and women that need to be encouraged and strengthened. You know the souls that need to be fed. Father, you know adult men and women here that need to be strengthened in the Lord. 
We pray for our children. We pray for students. We pray that you would strengthen their faith. Pray that you'd find us faithful, that we can face the week with joy because Jesus is strong. We pray in his name, amen. You may be seated. So one man who wrote most of the New Testament, his name is Paul. Part of what he would do is write to churches. Many of the churches there you would find in, around Rome and in Turkey. You, you see them in your Bible, Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and you know, those are letters to churches. And one of the letters to a church in Ephesus called Ephesians, he closes out the letter, and as he does, he says to the struggling church, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and, and authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil that are in the heavenly places. The heavenly places. The forces of evil are also in the earthly places as well. This passage opens it up for us. After a stormy night on the sea with the disciples coming across the Sea of Galilee, after a stormy night when Jesus would stand up and rebuke the storm, they have seen vividly the authority and power that Jesus has over the natural world. Now their boat eases up on the shore in the garrisons. This passage shows us the power and authority Jesus has over the supernatural world. In this passage, Jesus invades. In this passage, Jesus does what has not been done in thousands of years. If Satan is a fallen angel and those that went with him, a third of the angels coming out of heaven, fell from heaven into the earth, they have had for thousands of years free reign. They possess who they want. They do what they want. They live as they want to live up until this day right here. On this day, as that boat sailed up into the shores of the garrisons, everything would change for the powers of evil. This passage right here, this passage is here to encourage you. This passage is is here to strengthen you. This passage is here also to remind us of the real dangers of evil. Do I believe that demon possession is a real thing? You go to the lockdown of the worst prison we have in the United States, and there you find the rapists and killers and Abusers, molesters. You ask psychologists and psychiatrists and counselors of some of the people that they would deal with that's beyond. Anywhere 
Anywhere you find the destruction of God's good creation, especially the destruction of God's good creation in people, the image of God, anytime you find that destruction, you can guarantee that Satan is close by. Until Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, we sang it today, devil's got to surrender when Jesus shows up. I want you to read this and drink it and take courage from this passage. I want you to, to find confidence in the healing, saving, cleansing power of Jesus. I spent all week thinking about how to best get at this story, how to best get at it so that it makes sense and is useful. So in a broad sense, if I want to encapsulate it, this is what I would say. In a broad sense, I want you to see that Jesus... So it's about Jesus. Jesus is a victorious, it's one thing, Jesus is a victorious and transforming Savior. That he didn't just win victory, he transformed the guy that was filled with demons. I'll tell you what, let's do it. Let's just go through it. Let's walk through the passage, and as we do, let's make some applications as we go, and when we get to the end of it, we'll... We're going to take the Lord's Supper today so that we focus on the cross of Jesus and the power of Jesus. So let's go through it. Here's the first point. Number one, you need to see that Jesus is stronger than your worst demons. Jesus is stronger than the worst demons. Join me there in verse 1. The text says in verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. If you were reading it in Luke, it would say the Gadarenes. Why does it have two different names? Gadara is a town, and the Gerasenes is a region. Like Charlotte is the city, Mecklenburg is the county. It's the same place, the Gerasenes. There in the Gerasenes is a Gentile country, a Greek-speaking country. You'll see the little title Decapolis in a little bit. That's ten cities. Alexander the Great came through, established this sort of utopia with the ten cities. The Romans knocked Alexander the Great out. Now they are occupying this place. It has never been Jewish. They don't know anything about this Jewish God. Verse 2 tells us that immediately, Mark is setting it up, verse 2 tells us that immediately when Jesus stepped out of the boat, that demon-filled man, he came out of the tombs. This man with an unclean spirit. Why is he unclean? Well, he's unclean because he's filled with the devils. He's unclean because he's walking around the tombs. He's unclean because he is Gentile. He's unclean because he's obviously close to a herd of pigs. So that's the setup. Now Mark takes an aside before he gives us the full detail of the encounter. Verses 3, 4, and 5, Mark tells us about this man, this tragic man. This description of a possessed man, and I want you, as you read it, I want you to feel the wretched end game of sin. I want you to see the defilement and the self-mutilation. Join me there in verse 3. <clears throat> this man, he lived among the tombs. He was a necromancer. He lived where the dead people are. The tombs would be caves and hills up there where you'd bury the dead, not like we do in the ground with a tombstone, and a hole in the wall, a hole in the mountain. He's up there where the bones are. He lived among the tombs. Nobody could bind him anymore. That is to say that he's a strong man. Somewhere he has this superhuman 
strength. They can't get a hold of him, verse 3. They can't bind him anymore, not even with a chain. They tried it with ropes. They put chains on him, iron. He breaks out of those. Verse 4, they elaborates a little further about this man and his strength. He'd often been bound with shackles. That's around his ankles and chains around his wrist. And every time he breaks out, Mark's setting it up now, setting it up in verse 4. <clears throat> nobody, this is what Mark tells us, nobody has the strength to subdue him. Verse 5, we've got a picture of his tormented soul. Here is this man up at the mountains, night and day. Verse 5 says that he's up there and he's, he's howling like a lunatic, cutting himself, his self-mutilation, so the just demons are doing all they can to harm the image of God in this man. There's this agony, this destruction. Mark paints the picture. This is where sin takes us. He makes us look deeply at this man. And he does so, so that when we see Jesus do the miracle, we're reminded of the power of the gospel. So he sets it up, Mark's setting it up, that Jesus is, is stronger than all your demons. Let me give you another one. Uh, second thing to consider, I think verses 6 through 13 will tell us that Jesus is Lord. There's a great victory here. Join me there. Verse 6, it's a weird passage. I know it's a weird passage. <clears throat> verse 6, verse 6 is an extension of verse 2. So verse 2, he sets it up. They came across the Sea of Galilee. They're getting out, and this demon-possessed man sees them. He's an unclean man. Verse 6 picks up the story. Look what he says. <clears throat> and when he saw Jesus from afar, maybe he was up on the mountain, maybe he's in one of those tombs, maybe his eyesight is just as strong as his strength, as his as his arms and legs, when he saw Jesus way down there close to the coast, the text says that he ran not away from Jesus. That's what I would, that's what I would expect. He didn't run away from Jesus. The text says that he ran to Jesus. If you had to King James, it said he ran and worshiped. Because the Greek word underneath, he fell down. In front of Jesus, that, that word is used oftentimes in the Gospels and over by Paul. It's used to describe worship, but this is a forced worship. Hey, does this passage make you think of Ephesians, no, Philippians 2, where every, where every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue must confess, whether you want to or not, Jesus is Lord. There they are on the ground in front of Jesus. Notice, notice the fear of the demons in verse 7. Jesus has invaded their territory. What is he doing here? Verse 7. Crying out with a loud voice, What have you to do with me? They know his name, Jesus. They know his position. High God. Why are you here? You don't belong here, verse 7. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? They got good theology. I adjure you by God. Just because your theology is right doesn't mean you know the Lord. Good theology can have a cold heart. James said even the demons believe and shudder. I adjure you by God. They know what Jesus can do. Do not torment me. 
The people feared the man with the demons. The demons fear Jesus. Jesus has a conversation. You know my name. Verse 9, I need to know your name. Notice what Jesus says in verse 9. <clears throat> Jesus asked him, what is your name? This is astounding. He replied, our name. Now, the, the pronouns have changed. My, our. Our name is Legion. Now, the people watching would be familiar with the word Legion. I told you Alexander the Great had this ten cities first. Alexander the Great goes off the scene. The Greeks leave. The Romans come in. The Romans, the way they conquered the known world, they did it with their armies in legions, a shield wall you couldn't break through. Legion was a fierce fighting unit, 6,000 men. So the people standing there would know what a legion is. Our name is Legion. There's one of you, thousands. I had in my mind, I think about what happened in, years ago in Tiananmen Square when that one man stood against those Russian tanks coming Think of the one small man. Now here's Jesus in front of 6,000. But let's be honest. Thousands of demons are no match for one Jesus. They're afraid of him. They Please don't torment us, they ask. Verse 10, they make a bizarre request. This is such a strange passage. Verses 10, 11, and 12, and 13 make a request of Jesus. Notice what they say in verse 10. <clears throat> and he begged them earnestly. He, he begged him earnestly. Everybody's begging. He begged them earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. They begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. To where we want to be in filth. Send us to the pigs. Verse 13 says that, they, that Jesus gave them permission. They had to have permission from Jesus in order to do this. Now, I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, can you imagine being one of the herdsmen? Verse 13, he gave them permission. The unclean spirits came out of the one man and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering 2,000, I couldn't envision, I, I'm trying to think 2,000 pigs. Like I thought about 20 pigs. That'd be way too many. And I say 200. Let's just multiply it. 200 pigs. I don't, what are you going to do with 200? 200. You get 2,000 pigs. And now they're devil pigs. Now they're filled with demons. And so they're possessed with the demons. And notice what happens to them in verse 13. 2,000. They rush down the hill. They went into the Sea of Galilee, went down into this freshwater lake into the Sea of Galilee and drowned in the sea. Now I'm standing up on the hillside looking down on the Sea of Galilee. 2,000 pigs floating out there. What are you going to do now? Go down to the beach, have a barbecue. What are you going to do? <laughs> we got, got 2,000 I mean, honestly, have you seen you know how much money that is? You've seen the, the price of bacon lately? 2,000 pigs. 
It's, it's a bizarre thing that has happened. So I started asking, why would Jesus, why? Don't you want to know? Why? I mean, why? why? We don't have a good answer. I have some speculations. I don't think that he did it just because they asked. I think there's more going on here. He is, he is displaying dominance here. I think a couple of things. One, I think Jesus allowed the demons to come out of the man and go into those thousands of pigs so that everybody could see, have tangible evidence of evil. And we don't, we don't often think evil is real because we can't see it or feel it. And so the legion comes out and goes into a legion of pigs. You know what else? I think Jesus allowed this to happen so that the world might see, so that there might be tangible outward evidence and to display Satan's designs. This is where sin takes you. Every single time, down the hill, drowned. Every single time, destruction. You know what else I think? I think another reason could be that um, this, this shows the value of a human being. I mean, honestly, you sit up there, and if you're one of the herdsmen, it's a Gentile, there are Gentiles here, you think about, I mean, we didn't just lose a couple of pigs to some wolves. There are 2,000. They're all bobbing on the Sea of Galilee. You think of the economic destruction that that did right there, and the lesson is that does not compare to this one wretched man that needs to be saved. I also think that, um, that this is an exercise, a display of the sovereignty of Jesus. There are thousands of demons. There's one Jesus, and it shows us that Jesus at his command, everything obeys. This is a reminder that everything we have belongs to Jesus. I think that when you watch this, I think there's another reason behind it. I think this displays for us what is the end game. The, what is sin's end game? So let's say you make a decision here that doesn't seem that bad. It's good to think, what are six or seven steps down the road? Where is this going to end up? I think here is a vivid display of where it ends up. So how do we... How do we apply this? I'll just give two broad applications. Here they are. Here's the first one. <clears throat> Number one, this is a reminder. There is nothing to fear if Jesus is near. There's nothing to fear. If your life is hidden in Christ, you're a brother or sister in Jesus. You've given your life to Christ. You're walking with God. There's nothing to fear. There is no demon that will come near you. I'll give you something else. <clears throat> Application. Application is that good and evil, good and evil are not equally matched. So don't get in your mind that we have, that the, the universe is made up of good and evil and they're in a constant battle and we're not sure who's going to win. If you'll just be good enough, you can help the good side and it might win. No, this is a display. This is a display that the powers of evil are no match. Thousands of demons can't stand up to one Jesus. This is a reminder that Christ is a victorious 
transforming Savior. I'll give you the two points. I'm going to give you a third. Let's go through the story again. Watch what happens here. Here's a third thing. Number three, <clears throat> Jesus always gets a response. Jesus always gets a response. The gospel always gets a response. So you follow through with verse 13. You can just look at it briefly. Verse 13, the demons are scared. They want to be anywhere, but in the presence of Jesus, we'll take some dead pigs over Jesus. So they go down the hill and die. Demons, get away. It creates this stir. Verse 14 tells us that the herdsmen, they're standing around now looking at one another. They can't believe what happened. The herdsmen, verse 14 the herdsmen fled. They ran out of there. They started telling it in the city and in the country. And when they started telling it, people wanted to come see. Did that really happen? Come and look down on the Sea of Galilee. See what you see. But, but more than that, the, so they're telling it. Verse 15 is really what I want you to see. Verse 15. This is what happens when God gets a hold of your life. When Christ changes a man or a woman, he or she is changed forever. Look at him there now. Look at him, verse 15. Draw a circle around it. They came to Jesus, the crowds of people, they came to Jesus, and here's what they saw. Uh, Mark is very specific. They saw the demon-possessed man, that is, the one who had the legion, and notice the characteristics. He is sitting there. He has found peace all that crying out at night, all that wild lunatic activity, all of that is gone now. He's sitting there. Not only that, we find out that he is clothed. You read the story over in Luke. Luke tells us that he had gone so mad that he had torn off all of his clothes. Now we see he's, he's been brought together. He's, he's clothed. He's also, what a beautiful phrase, verse 15, he is in his right mind. This is the same thing that happened with the, uh, the prodigal son when he is eating the, the pig food. He came to his senses. He's in his right mind. There's this picture of when you are with Christ, you're in your right mind. Everything else is, is lunacy. He's in his right mind. Verse 15. <clears throat> and look what the people, look at their response. You know that change in your life is going to unnerve people. They saw this. They were afraid. Now, let's remember, when he was filled with all those demons, they were scared of him. Then Jesus heals him. Now they're even more scared of him. This is just what happened on the Sea of Galilee with the disciples. On the boat, when the storm came, they were afraid of the storm. Jesus rebuked the storm. It's gone. Now they're more afraid of Jesus. The people came, and they saw that there's this change it's too much for some of them, too much. Verse 17 tells us they, that scared them so badly, they said to Jesus, you got to get out of here. You see it in verse 17? They began to beg Jesus. The demons begged Jesus. Now the people are begging Jesus to depart from that region. You see all of the varied responses to the good grace of God found in Jesus a response. What is your response? What do you respond? When you hear the gospel that, that God is good and created you in his image, the image of God in you is so disfigured by sin, it feels like there's no hope. And yet the gospel tells us there is hope because of Jesus. 
who lived perfectly, died as a substitute in your place. God raised him from the dead, and he offers that to you as a gift. Now it takes a response. This disciple here, he responded, and it gives me the fourth point. Number four, we find out that Jesus, Jesus is what we need. Join me there, verse 17, they're asking him to leave. The people are asking him to leave, but the man who's been changed, look at him, what a tender, I mean, what a beautiful, I mean, look what the, look what the text says. As, as Jesus is now getting in the boat because he's been rejected by the people, Jesus is getting in the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him, I want to go. I mean, isn't this the right desire right here? I want to be near you. I want to be with you. I want to be in fellowship with you. I want to know you. Isn't this, isn't this the desire that conversion creates? You're what I want, Jesus. Please let me go. The demons have begged. The people have begged. Now this saved man is begging. And I don't understand verse 18 and 19, 18 and 19. Give me my fifth point, and that is that Jesus is the mission. Look at it. So the man is begging Jesus, let me go, let me go with you. Why wouldn't Jesus let him go? Make a 13th, why can't he go? The man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. Verse 19, he did not permit him. Oftentimes, even there's the things you want, the places you want to go, the people you want to be with, the sovereign God says, no. This is what I want you to do. What does he want us to do? Well, here's the mission. You find it in verse 19. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, go home. Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Now you take them together now. His desire is to be with Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. And Jesus says, as good as that is, I have a purpose for you. The sovereign Jesus has another plan for his life in verse 19. And he tells this saved man, go back to that hostile Gentile crowd that has no background, the God of the Bible. In fact, look where he tells him to go, verse 19. Go home. Go show, up, go show up back at your mom and daddy's house. Walk back in and let them see you. Let them visual, let them get a visual. Everybody knows how you used to be. Go back and let them see. You walk in and they'll see that you're in your right mind, that your heart is at peace, that something has, something has happened. Go, go and tell your friend, let them see you. Let them see what's happening. And when they ask, you tell them, here's the message, you tell them about the provision of God. You tell them the blessings of God. You tell them how good God has been to you. You talk about how God healed you. You talk about all the wonderful things that God has done. But don't forget to get to the point, end of verse 19, you tell them mercy. You tell them, isn't this taking it to the cross now? 
You tell them about the mercy. Isn't mercy a humbling thing? Mercy is a humbling thing. How could you be a prideful Christian if you understand mercy? If you understand you deserve to go to hell, you are a wretch before God. There's nothing about you that attracts God except that you are a human. He created in his image. Everything else is, is disgusting. And yet, he has mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is us not getting the punishment we actually deserve. Mercy. So Jesus says, go talk about mercy. The greatest picture of mercy is found at the cross of Jesus. In fact, we'll, I mean, we'll I'll get there in a moment, but the the greatest picture of mercy we'll celebrate this morning in the Lord's Supper. But before we get there, I want to give you one last one. That's the sixth point. That is that Jesus, Jesus brings the results. Okay, so the man goes and preaches. Verse 19, he starts preaching. Verse 20, he went all the way and started to preach in the Decapolis, those ten cities, started preaching and he just told about how much Jesus had done, what a great message, how much Jesus had done for him. And as he did it, everybody marveled. And this is where the story ends, or is it? You've got to keep reading Mark. You get through chapter 6 and chapter 7. Chapter 7, Jesus will come back across the Sea of Galilee to a place called the Decapolis where this man preached. He gets out of the boat and he starts healing people. And, and this time, people aren't begging him to leave. This time they receive him. He healed a man that was deaf, unstopped his ears, and the people stood on the seashore looking at Jesus and said, he, he does all things well. Where did they get that message? From this man right here. You know, our Jesus is a victorious, transforming Savior, and he does all things things well. He's stronger than every demon you ever faced. He's genuinely Lord. Jesus always gets a response. He is, in fact, what we need. And he's shown us this mission of mercy. This morning, we're going to take the Lord's Supper and celebrate God's goodness given to us at the cross in his mercy. Let me, let me pray to end our time of preaching, and then we'll go into taking the Lord's Supper. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us great strength and joy because of Jesus. We thank you for this picture of the victorious, transforming power of Jesus. Now settle our hearts. Encourage us as we think on the mercy given to us at the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.